I really mean that. It's a blessing to see churches being planted in this country. I just think, honestly, even straight Baptist, you know, doctrinally correct, I think we got this idea of this thing called foreign and home missions, and I don't find that in the Bible. I find that we're not even called to a country. According to Acts 13, we're called to a work, amen? And that work's going to be in a country. It's going to be in a city. But if we honestly are that prideful to think that America doesn't need the gospel and there are places... You would have never thought driving through New Matamoros, Ohio, that this is a place where you'd need a church. There's probably three churches with the name Baptist on them, and every one of them was started by Methodists that got angry at their preacher and started their own church. I guess just to spite them even more, they called it a Baptist church. Would you accept that baptism? I don't, amen. Bible doesn't. And so we need churches in this country. And I just want to, you know, I came to do what the Lord called me to do, to preach. I, I told you the other day, I, in my prayer to the Lord, I, I honestly would have been very happy to stay in southern Ohio and keep preaching to those people. But the Lord laid on my heart to come. Preacher invited me. And so I believe I have a job to do while I'm here, and I'm trying to do that. But I just want you to know that's been a blessing to me to see that our country is thinking of church planning even here. Because at the end of the day, it's not an intellect thing. It's a spirit thing. Amen? It's not about where it's... the. Where, I've heard missionaries try to talk about, and I get it. I, I'm, I've been there. I've heard church planners try to explain how needy their area is. Every area is needy. I've not been in a place yet that, that doesn't need a, an independent Baptist church. Amen? And so I, I'm really encouraged this week. I want to acknowledge my son-in-law and my daughter here. Where are they at? There they are. They say they're coming to visit me, and I haven't talked to them at all. Amen? So I don't know. But the kid, grandkids will talk to me, right, Levi? All right. If you want to know what Levi is, you ask him after church tonight, are you a screwball? You ask him that, and he will tell you what he is. Right, Levi? All right, not in here. All right, not here. All right, shalom. Just remember that, all right? All right, but I'm glad to have my son-in-law. He is a product of this church, and um, I love him and his family, of course. Brother Tim and Sister Donna, very good to me today. Sister Donna even realized that I didn't probably need that cake before preaching, so she sent me home a piece, so I'm excited about that. And so I'll eat that tonight with coffee. You say coffee, that'll keep you up all night. Not really. I don't know, it doesn't work on me. But I'm glad to have my daughter here and my son-in-law. He's a fine young man. I told my wife years ago, I asked her opinion on this as well, and we both agreed that we were going to be the kind of parents that whoever our children married, they wouldn't be in-laws, they would be our sons and daughters. And that's the way we feel. I love you guys, and I'm glad you're here tonight. All right, let's get into the Word of God, amen? Let's get emotional about that, amen? Go with me to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to go ahead and we'll remain seated tonight. I don't stand, per se, every time we read the Word. I, I don't like tradition. I don't like things getting robotic, amen? But if the Lord says stand, we'll do it. But tonight, I'll let you remain seated. I guess the Lord will. And I want to talk to you tonight. Let's get right into it. It's Friday night. I've tried to honestly be good with time. I think I did good last night, actually. And I think it was 45 minutes. I'm not going to ever go under what you give me. Amen. 
that's not going to happen. But I, I really want to be respectful of time. We've got our banquet tomorrow. Sunday, we're excited. I'm excited. We, the Lord and I, we're excited about Sunday. Hope you are too. Looking forward to hearing the uh, lesson from pastor and then preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night. But tonight, we're going to finish this. We started out Wednesday night, and we're in chapter one of the book of Acts. And of course, one of the great commission verses that we always hear in conferences is verse eight, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. But but there's a lot of a lot of things going on here more than just being reminded Jesus reminding his church, his apostles here. There's there's more going on than just a great commission verse. Amen or the command, the commission. We find that the apostles, if you weren't here up till now, let me remind you, or if you weren't here, I'll, I'll say this. The apostles, they, here's Jesus, I believe, kind of refocusing them on some things that are vital to them fulfilling the Great Commission. I'm going to say something to you tonight, and I mean this, and I don't think you can prove me scripturally wrong. God has never asked anybody on this planet in the history of man to do any of his work in their power. He's never asked you to do that. He didn't ask you to go to California and start a church in your power. He didn't ask me to go to Scotland, Canada, West Virginia, amen, and now in Southeast Rock. God doesn't ask us to do his work in our power, our ability. And so Jesus here, before he gets to this, remember, the apostles are, they're getting kind of sidetracked. They're like, okay, Messiah's come. We're Jews. We're looking, we've been looking for Messiah. We've heard him prophesied in, in the Old Testament. Now he's come. And so are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And of course, Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the sea. It's not, do we believe in prophecy? Yes. Do we teach prophecy? Yes, biblically-based prophecy. But is that the thrust of what should motivate our lives? Should we stare as they did, gazing into the clouds, waiting on Jesus to come? Well, we're living in a day when I believe the Lord is closer than ever. And I believe this world, and I think in America, we're finally sadly seeing the depravity of man, if you will, and how bad man really is without a loving God and a Savior. And I think as we get in these times and persecution comes and as trials come, I think we're honestly, if we're not careful, it's easy to get our focus back on the clouds and, and almost be stagnant and waiting. But we need to get our focus on what Christ wants. And the first night, Wednesday, we saw, we need to have our focus on the authority of Christ. Amen? When Jesus said in Matthew 28, all power is given unto me, that word power is dealing with authority. He is the authority. But then we saw last night, we need to get our focus on his authenticity. We, if you are born again tonight, you have a King James Bible in your hand as an English-speaking person. We have the authentic Savior, the authentic Messiah. And so tonight what I want to see is in closing, and then we'll go into something different Sunday morning, Sunday night, I want to talk to you about, we need to get our focus back on the provision of Christ to his church. And I want to show you what I'm talking about tonight. Go with me down to verse number five, and well, we'll read the whole thing. We'll start in the first verse and go through what we've read. We won't re-preach it, but notice what he says. 
<coughs> the former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many, I love that, amen, infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. This is where we're gonna pick it up tonight, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, now did you get what he just said? You're gonna wait for the promise of the Father. But he says, listen, you're gonna, you're gonna be baptized with the Holy Ghost, amen. And he says, listen, you're going to do a job. There's a job to do. But look what he says. They said, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he saith unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, not authority. This is not, we have authority. Jesus authorized his church. This word power means miraculous ability, miraculous ability. We'll get in that in a minute. But he says, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Let's pray. And I'm kind of chomping at the bit here. So let's pray. Let's get into this message. Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I love you tonight. And Lord, we need you because the truth is, Lord, we think so many times that we can intellectually organize and, 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 and strategize, Lord, the work of the Holy Spirit. But Father, he doesn't need us, we need him. And Lord, he is the one who's been put in charge, the provision that the Father, I love it, Lord, Wait for the promise of the Father. Boy, when the Father gives a promise, he fulfills it. And so I pray tonight, Lord. This subject is very dear to me, Lord, because many years ago you taught me from your word that it is not about pleasing men and it's not about what I can do in my power, but what you can do through me through the power of the spirit of the living God. Please help us tonight to understand. Help us to get our focus back on his provision, your provision, Lord, for the New Testament church. I thank you that we, we don't have to wait for the promise of the Father. It happened. And Lord, when we get saved, what we got to do is we need to embrace this provision. We need to quit being afraid of the Holy Ghost. And Lord, we need to allow the Spirit of God to biblically work in our lives. Save the lost, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about getting our focus back on the provision that the Lord has given to his churches, amen? And remember what we said on the first night, a church is an assembly, amen? It's a called out, organized assembly of baptized believers. And, 
And, and you know, I'm not pre- preaching to the choir. It, a church is not just an assembly. It has to be as an authorized assembly. It has to be started. I told the folks in southern Ohio that came out of the Presbyterian and Methodist and all these backgrounds, I said, listen, if McDonald's, if I want to start a McDonald's in New Matamoris, amen, I'm not going to call Walmart. Why? They don't have the authority to start a McDonald's. That's called trademark infringement, amen. They don't have the authority. If I want to see a McDonald's, show up in New Matamoris, Ohio, or if I want to see a Walmart show up there, then I have to go to corporate in Walmart and ask them if they would start a church. We know that it's an authorized assembly, but here's the thing. An assembly is made up of individuals, and it's easy to, when, when this is preached and when the Bible's preached about the church, it's easy to say, I belong to Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, so, so I'm, I, we're right. This church is right. My pastor preaches the word. Everything is right. Our doctrinal statement is right. But it's easy for you being in an assembly that's right to still not be right. So I want to talk to you about the provision of the Holy Spirit of God. I find this an interesting comment that Jesus makes to them when he says, wait. He says, wait. You know, it's funny because the word wait means to stay around, to be patient, to tarry for. Amen? And so I find that interesting because the whole Great Commission and the whole gist of it is go. Amen? Go. It kind of almost seems like a contradiction of thought, amen. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go to every creature, amen. Um, go give the gospel to, to all men and, and, and preach the gospel. Go, go, go. But Jesus says before you're going to go, and that's the plan, verse 8. After this happens, after you wait on the power, the provision of the Holy Ghost, then you're going to go. But before that, you need to wait. Now, I don't believe today we have to wait for the promise of the Father because it has come, amen. And the day that we get saved, we are indwelled by the Spirit of the living God. So we don't have to wait. But the truth is we do need to embrace. We need to embrace the provision of the Spirit of the living God. And what I want to preach to you tonight is for the next few moments, and we're going to pretty much go back to John chapter 16, if you'll go there and camp out there for a little bit. But I want you to know, why do we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? You have no control. When you got saved, you had no control. You didn't speak in tongues that they call tongues that are not biblical tongues. You didn't do a work to receive the Holy Ghost. You have no say in it. It's a promise of God that when a person, a child of God, person puts their faith and trust in Christ, he comes and seals them. He's the earnest of their inheritance, and he protects them, amen, and he guides them into all truth. But I want you to know tonight, amen, we need to embrace the Spirit of God. We need to embrace the power and the provision that we have as the children of God and as a New Testament church in the Holy Spirit of God. Why? Because first of all, notice with me in John 16, he is the power behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me put another word in there. He is not only the power, he is the persuasion behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 16, verse 7, and the Bible says this, I'll never forget going to Scotland, and I had Baptist people telling me 
that don't expect people to get saved that much over there. I got over there, I went to a preacher's fellowship of independent Baptist preachers, and I'm telling you, it was the most discouraging thing I ever did. Everybody was telling me, you're not gonna see any real fruit. I've been here 20 years. We've seen maybe two people saved. They quit, we have nothing. You know what? I told them, as a young man, and, and, and they probably thought very ignorant in things, I said, if my God called me here to preach the gospel, I'm not a prophet like Jeremiah. I'm a New Testament evangelist. And when this gospel is preached, people are going to get saved. Now, here's what he says. This is what Jesus said. John chapter 16. And notice with me in verse number seven. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. It's necessary. It's advantageous for you that I go away. Why? <coughs> for if I go not away, the comfort will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when, and listen to this now, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You know what the greatest tool in, in soul winning is? Not just, not you trying to intellectually explain something to somebody. The greatest tool in soul winning is two components. We preach the true gospel and we rely on the Spirit of God to convince. The word reprove means to convince, amen, the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We used to say it in the old days when I was a young preacher. We need Holy Ghost-empowered preaching of the gospel because the Spirit of God can save to the uttermost. I want you to think about what he does. He convinces man, first of all, of his unbelief. I had a preacher friend of mine um, years ago tell me that that the sin of unbelief is 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 it's not unbelief, it's 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 I forget how he's trying to explain it. I said, Well, the Bible says it's the sin of unbelief, amen. And 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 I, I got into that with him, and I'll show you what I said. But here's what he says in verse number nine. He says this: he says, of sin, because they what? Believe not on me. The word believe here. It's not, a, it's not a mental thing. It's not the idea of learning some facts and I accept it. Here's what we do. We treat the word believe, which has never changed. We just don't understand the English language anymore. The word believe doesn't mean you hear some facts, you accept those facts, and you're like, okay, I believe it. I accept that. The word believe literally means to entrust, to be persuaded. It's the idea of put. it's like this. It's like the tightrope walker, true story in New York City years ago, back in the 19, early 1900s, and they, they strung up across the two tallest buildings, and the tightrope walker looked at the crowd and said, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope and make it? And some said, yeah, I think so. Some said, man, I don't know. Some said, I think he's going to splat on the ground. And so he said, well, that's okay. Reserve your judgment. And so he went and walked across the tightrope. Of course, he was a professional. Made it, came back, and he looked at the crowd and he said, hey, how many of you believe that I can walk across this tightrope? 
And everybody said, right? Everybody said. This is like the preaching of the gospel today with a lot of people, amen. It's just like an insurance policy. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. Do you want to go to hell? No. Just say this prayer. Accept Jesus. And he said, how many believe I can go across this? They all said they believe. He said, then which one of you will jump on my back and go across with me? Belief, biblical belief and faith is not accepting facts. It's putting your trust, your reliance in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Calvary. Amen. Who convinces men of their unbelief? The Spirit of God. Let me hold your place in John 17, 16, and go back with me to Acts chapter 13. Go with me back to Acts chapter 16, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 16. You remember the Apostle Paul, and we'll talk about this a little more before we're done tonight. But you remember the Apostle Paul, and in Acts chapter 16, it's quite an interesting chapter. It's really what changed my life and my thinking, Brother Gable, that we we're talking about today on where do I go and start churches, amen? Paul's on his way to Asia. Do you believe Paul walked with the Lord? I do. But Paul's still a man. And he's on his way to Asia. And the Spirit of God, strong language, forbids him to go to Asia. Forbids him. You know what the word forbid means? It means you're going to have to go through me to get there. Forbids him to go to Asia. He comes off his first journey and the first church planning endeavor and started multiple churches. Now he's going back out and he's going to go visit the churches and then he's going to go to Asia. And God says, no, the spirit of God forbids him. Then he's, he gets down to Bithynia, Messiah, and he starts to assay. That word assay, it's the idea of like scrutinizing, trying to figure out what's going on. And so Paul's trying to find the will of God. I believe that. But it's not until he goes to bed, amen, and stops and says, Lord, I obviously am not getting this right. I'm just going to take a night's rest. And in the middle of the night, he has a vision. He has the vision, amen, of a man standing in Macedonia and saying, come over and help us. Now, I find that interesting because when Paul gets to Macedonia, to Philippi, I believe here, it's not a man that gets saved first. Do you remember her name? Lydia. Now, how did she get saved? Well, here's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 16. And we'll talk about this more in just a moment. He says in verse 13, And on the Sabbath day, <coughs> Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman, don't you like that phrase? A certain woman, just a certain woman, Amen of the city of the seller of purple, the city of Thyatira, which worship God, heard us. Now look at me. Do you think Lydia was saved because she worshiped God? I don't believe Lydia's saved. Not at all. I think she's same as Cornelius. I think Lydia has a form of godliness. I think she probably has a sincere heart in her mind. But here's what God says. Look at this. He says, whose heart who? The Lord opened that she should attend unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. You know what that tells me? 
That tells me that when Paul was leaving in Antioch and he was going on that second journey, and before Paul ever even gets on his way to Asia, and before the Spirit of God forbids him to go, and before Paul decides to assay and try to figure out going to Messiah, and then he finally sees the vision in the night, and he's on his way to Macedonia. You know who I believe the man in the vision in the night was? I believe it was a picture of the Spirit of God because he said, come over and help us. You know what the phrase come over means? It's an invitation from the one inviting for the one being invited to get over where they are. And then we find when Paul gets over here to Philippi, what happens, amen? There's a woman that the Spirit of God has been working on long before Paul ever got there. Who reproves men of sin, righteousness, and judgment? The Spirit of God. He reproves, he convinces man of unbelief. He convinces man of the righteousness of Christ. Verse 10 in John chapter 16 says this, of righteousness because I go to the Father, to my Father, and you see me no more. Now, I don't have time to preach on these, these verses in depth like I'd like, but you know what I believe Jesus is talking about there when he says of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more? You remember in the book of Hebrews, go over with me to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. You remember when Jesus ascended and he says, touch me not for I've not yet ascended. He rose again, but he says, touch me not for I've yet not yet ascended to my father. Do you remember that? Amen. Well, go to Hebrews chapter number 9 with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 9. <coughs> Let me show you something here. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. You remember these verses? Let's look at verse 11 and 12 and then 24 because we need to move on. But notice what he says. But Christ being come and high priest of good things by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. The tabernacle and all the instruments were a picture of something that was in existence before it was patterned on this earth. Now look at this, amen? Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Now jump down to verse 24, and notice this verse here, verse 24. Look what he says. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of what? The true. But into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. You know what the Spirit of God does in the hearts of lost people? You know what he did in my heart? He showed me that my faith and my reliance was not on Jesus Christ. We had religion. We had Catholicism. We had three years of Baptist after my mom and dad got saved. And I sat and heard the preaching of the word. And I believed in God. I went to public school and I would have gotten, and I got in multiple fist fights when people would say, God's not real. Oh, yes, he is. Boom. Amen. I mean, that's real carnal, isn't it? But you know what? I had no relationship with him. 
And that relationship didn't didn't come about because I sat in church for X amount of years. It came about as the word of God was preached. The Holy Ghost convinced me that I was a sinner, that I had no faith and trust in Christ. My reliance was on myself, that my righteousness was as filthy rags. But the righteousness of Christ, who before the Father, amen, paid our sin debt and gave his own blood. And he convinced me that just... Judgment was to come. That's what the Holy Ghost does, amen? It's what he does. Boy, I wish I could, pre- I could preach a whole message on those three thoughts, but we have to move on. I think if we're not careful, we get in this attitude of, I'm, I don't want to preach, we give titles, easy believism, I get it. But is the gospel hard? Is it really hard? no. We don't believe in easy, I don't believe in hard believism. I believe in Holy Ghost believism. And I think if we would get our focus back on the provision of the Holy Ghost, when it comes to the gospel, he is the power, he is the convincer of of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. How do you go into a place like Scotland and witness to a bunch of spiritists and witches? How do you do that? How do you go into a a place where 85% of people are considered agnostic at best? How do you go pre? How do you win them to the Lord? What? You're going to have X amount of Bible studies? You hope that they intellectually get it? You preach the gospel and rely on the power of the Spirit of God. And he saves. Not only that, but notice the Spirit of God. Notice his, his, his persuasion in is concerning the gospel, but notice the spirit of God. He is the path director for the child of God. And this is where I want to preach for a few moments and then we'll finish. Amen. But I want you to notice this. How many grew up here in the Bible and preaching? You heard people say, and it's true. It's the Bible and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be you what? How many times have you ever had it explained to you what it means to walk in the Spirit? How many times have you ever thought of what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God? You know what's funny? We as Baptists love to talk about standards, and rightly so. But we go to the Bible and say, well, the Bible says, the Bible commands us to walk in the Spirit. The Bible commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And you know why we are to be filled and walk in the Spirit? Because he's the path director. He's the one that sets our path. If we set our own path, we're going to end up miserable. Amen? Amen. The Bible says here in John chapter 16, in verse number 13, he says this, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, (coughs) is come. In fact, look at verse 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Can you relate to that from the day you got saved to now? I couldn't take everything in, Brother Chris, that I know now. There's no way. I had to have the Spirit of God in his timing teach me the Word of God. And here's what he says. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? How be it? When he, the Spirit of truth, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. The word guide here means to be one's guide, to lead on their way. Let me say he guides us, first of all, in truth. 
The Bible calls him the spirit of truth. What does he guide us in? Well, John chapter 17, just over in the next page, the Bible tells us what truth is. John chapter 17, verse 17. Sanctify them, amen? They are not of the world, verse 16, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Set them apart, amen? What? Through thy truth, thy word is truth. Can I just say to you today, we have become so afraid of talking about the Holy Spirit because of the charismatics and all. Here's the difference, amen? The, the spirit that they talk about, they can call it the Holy Spirit. They can call him the Holy Ghost. They can call him anything what. But it's just like the Jesus of the world today. The Jesus of Hollywood is not the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. The Jesus of Protestantism is not the Jesus of the Bible. If it was, I sat with a lady today looking at a car. That's what I do for fun when I'm bored and my wife's not with me. And so I went and looked at a car. So I'm sitting at a Mercedes dealer, sitting in a brand new E-Class, and we're talking about the Lord. And this lady goes to a Baptist church somewhere around her, and she said to me, she said, listen, I, we talked, I said, you know, we're in a country that's desperately wicked. Look at the way we deal with our unborn children. And she said in sincerity, she said in sincerity, I just don't think, I think God understands that bringing children into this world, that I think he understands a person that doesn't want to do that, and they, they, they terminate their baby. I said, ma'am, I'm a Bible preacher. Do you want me to tell you what you want to hear, or do you want me to tell you what the Bible says? She said, well, you're a preacher. You should say the Bible. I said, God says it's murder. God gives life. God doesn't. We have no authority. You know why suicide's wrong? Because you have no authority to take the life that God has given you. He is the giver of life. And so I witnessed her. But here's the thing. I didn't point her to my opinions. And the spirit that they talk about, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit they talk about, that is not the Holy Ghost of the Bible. The Holy Spirit of the Bible is God, amen? And he is not here. Although he is worthy of worship and praise, he is not here to lift himself up. He lifts up Jesus Christ, amen? And how does he do that? By his word, this book. You said, preacher, how do I know if it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Well, the first kind of litmus test that you can do is simple. What you, the voice is saying, why do you think the Bible says, try the spirits, whether they be of God? Spirits speak all the time. You may not realize, but demonic spirits whisper in your ear all the time. And you have this thing called the old nature, amen? And so how do you know with the spirit? How do you try the spirits, whether they be of God? You have to go to the word of God. When God called this man to go, to, to go do a work and go to California and start a church, let's look at the Bible. Let's see. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? Get, preach the gospel to every creature. After the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Ghost is given, which happened. Amen? And now we as believers and as a New Testament church go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. You say, oh, preacher, how do you know that that's the voice of God? The Spirit of God will never contradict His Word. Amen. He won't do it. He won't do it. Because He guides through His Word. But let me say this. He also guides us in our path. Not just through the Word, but in our actual day-to-day -day path. Go with me to Acts chapter 8 if you want. I want to give you a couple scriptures. And then we're going to finish up here in a few moments. Are you with me tonight? Yeah. I ask him down in the hills that. Are you with me? <coughs> 
You may not agree with everything I say. I don't know there's any preacher that everybody agrees with everything. I already know that driving a Ram truck in Ford country here, I've already heard that you don't agree with me in choice of truck. But the good thing is I go back to Ram country, amen? And so you stay in Ford country, so it really doesn't matter. We can agree to disagree, right? Twice I've been called a socialist since I've been here. Twice. Because you've bought the lie by pharmacaea that if you have national health, it's socialism. Well, you can have your opinion, I'll have mine. Amen? I've li I lived it. Amen? So I, I've, I know we're not going to agree on everything, but we can agree on the Bible. Amen? Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. Now I, I, I just wish I had time, literally, to go through every time in the New Testament this idea is presented. And the idea is this. The Spirit of God speaks to his children. He speaks. I was preaching here years ago in one of your church planners. I don't even remember who it was. I told Brother Chris. I don't even remember. I'm glad I don't. He wrote me an email when I talked about I was in a, a place and the, the, I, the Spirit of God, I'm doing my thing. I'm on an elliptical trainer trying to lose weight. And the Spirit of God, as plain as I'm talking to you, said to me, go over to that man and give him. I like ultimate questions. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a very good evangelistic tool. It's straight. It's, it covers all the bases. I like it. It's well presented. You've seen those, amen? And so I, I had one on me, and the Spirit of God said, in your gym bag, you got a, an ultimate question. I want you to go over and give it to that man, and I want you to tell him that I told you to give it to him. Now, no, it ain't good if it's not of the Lord, amen? But it's good because it was. And I said, Lord, I will go to that man, and I will give him that ultimate questions. But, Lord, he's going to think I'm a nut when I say you told me to give it to him. I'm going to look like a charismatic. And the Spirit of God said, you've been praying every day and asking me to lead you to who I will and to tell you what to say, and I just did. And I said, okay. So I walked over, I said, and of course, I pre-qualified it in my cowardice, and I said, sir, you're going to think I'm nuts. And the Lord said, you didn't need to say that, amen, but you're going to think I'm nuts. But I said, I'm over here doing my thing, I'm a Baptist preacher, but I never just say that. I'm a born-again Christian, and I know Christ is my Lord and Savior. He changed my life. But I said, he told me, the Spirit of God told me to give you this gospel literature and to tell you that he told me to do it. I said, take it for what it's worth. I said, my name's on there, my number. Call me if you want. I won't take up any more time. I did what the Lord said. What was it? A week or two later, I think it was, I told you, that young man called me on the phone. He said, hey, can you meet me for coffee? I said, yeah, I like coffee. And I said, who is this? He goes, I'm that guy in the gym. He said, you thought I would think you were nuts. He said, I want to talk to you. We met, and that young man looked me in the eye with tears in his eye, and he said, how did you know what I was going through? I said, I didn't know what you were going through, but my God does. I gave him the gospel. We had Bible studies together. I met with him pretty regularly for a couple months. He moved out to Alberta, Western Canada. I don't know if he ever got, I really don't. I don't know if he ever got saved. We lost track. But here's what I'm telling you. That was the will of the Spirit of God for me to talk to him. Amen. 
And it's funny, we look, somebody in this church, one of the church planners asked me, it's probably a sincere question in their mind, how do you know that wasn't the flesh? When did the flesh ever tell you to witness of Christ? When did the spirit, when did the devil ever tell me to witness of Christ? Well, here's how I know, because I've got Bible example. Look what he says. He says, <coughs> there's an Ethiopian eunuch returning, and he's in his chariot. In verse 29, then the spirit said unto Philip. Now, look at me. Do we believe the Bible literally? Amen. He said, then said the spirit. That's capital S, Holy Ghost, unto Philip. He said to Philip. Go near and join thyself to the chariot. You see, the Great Commission gives us the marching orders. But how do you know where to go? How many people, I've heard Hiles type guys say, well, man, I, I, I witnessed everybody I meet in a day. I can't witness everybody I meet in a day. So who do I witness to? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit knows who to witness to. Amen. Here's what he says, look. Go near join thy, and join thyself to that, the chari- that his chariot, and Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept some man should guide me? Are we the vessel of the Holy Ghost to do the will of the Father? Amen. And he, de- he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And you know the story. He, he goes to the place of the scripture and he happens to be reading Isaiah 53. He was, le- he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a, a lamb dumb before a shear, so he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his judgment, verse 33, was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, whom speakest thou? The prophet, <laughs> this of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same what? Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And the eunuch gets saved. Why? Because that man's in a chariot reading Isaiah 53 from Ethiopia. What a coincidence that it sounds like the Holy Ghost had been starting to work in his life, just like Lydia, amen, in Philippi. And a man obeys the Spirit of God, gives the gospel, and somebody gets saved. Let me take you over to Galatians. Give me just a few more minutes. I want to take you to Galatians. I preach a whole series in every church I plant on walking in the Spirit. I think we are missing so much so many times. Galatians chapter 5. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul here, the Spirit of God through Paul says in divine scripture. Galatians chapter 5. How many of you ever, um, you ever heard someone say, even Baptists, you know, hey man, you're struggling with this sin. Read this book over here. Right? Read this book. That'll help you. What do you, you got problems in your marriage? Read this book. Read this book. Read this book. Well, what are problems in marriage from? The flesh. The flesh. What is struggle with sin for a person truly saved? What is that from? The flesh. The new man doesn't desire sin. He's created in righteousness and true holiness. So what is that struggle? It's the old man. It's the flesh. So notice this with me. Look what he says here. Galatians chapter 5. Say, what does that have to do with missions? I'll show you. Galatians 5 verse 16. He says, this I say then. Walk in the spirit. How do you walk in the spirit? 
Somebody asked me one time, can you preach a meeting, a whole meeting on how to get the fruit of the Spirit? I said, I can wrap that one up in 30 minutes, man. Five minutes. Walk in the Spirit. You see, the fruit of the Spirit, Baptist, is not a list of do's and don'ts. It, you don't take and say, well, I'm going to add gentleness in me. I'm going to add this fruit. I'm just going to make a list. And every day I'm going to make sure I act that way. You know what? If you want apples, you plant an apple tree and you tend it and apples produce fruit. You walk in the spirit, you will have the fruit of the spirit. Now look what he says here. Look, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary. One, the spirit of God lusteth against the flesh. What's that mean? Well, the spirit of God, we always think of the word lust as a negative thing. It means that the spirit of God desires to have dominance instead of the flesh in our life. And look what he says. These are contrary one to the other, so that she cannot do the things that she would. But if you be led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You're not under the law. Is the Spirit of God ever going to lead us to do something against the Word of God? Look what he says. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, and these are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, <laughs> seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I told you before, as I have told you in the time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And look at this now. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and loss. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. The Bible says, if you walk in the spirit in the same book, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So you say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. Listen, we need to get back with missions, with our lives. But we need to get back with missions. We need to get back to the provision of the Holy Ghost. He is the power. He is the convincing agent. He is the persuader of the gospel to a lost world. He is the path director for the child of God. And let me say, he's the protection of the child of God. I want to read you a verse, and then we're going to finish with this. But go with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Do you think we live in a dangerous world? Do you think, is there any place on this planet you would say that, man, I, and you live there, and there, you'll never be affected by the evil of this world? Well, New Madam Morris would probably be one of those places you would think that. About a 1,000 people live there. But you, you know what? We got two sisters that come to the work now, the church plant. And the one is saved. I don't know if the other one is, but the one is saved. You know what? They went through quite a trauma two years ago. You know what happened? Their nephew, who was worshiping the devil, that's by his admission, was told by the devil, he said, to decapitate his mother. And that family went. That's in the hills of southern Ohio, in the country, in the land of the safe, right? We live in a wicked world. The devil's everywhere. Demonic influence is everywhere. So how do you do the work of God? 
Do you think the devil loves the children of God? Do you think he has an affection towards us? Do you think he's glad when a young man is called to preach and he's going to go preach? Do you think the devil was excited when I went to High Bonnie Bridge, Scotland, and the devil, I found out, that was the land of spiritists and witches? Do you think the devil was excited? Or do you think I just declared war with the devil? Let me show you what God says about the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13, the Bible says, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard. Who is that? Christ, amen. After ye had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed. Aren't you glad you don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit when you get saved, amen? Ye were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know what the word sealed means here? I know a lot of these preachers all know this, but let me, let me let it in for the, the non-preachers. The word sealed, it's the idea of a stamp or a signet of a private mark. It's, it's for security, preservation, and in particular in our lives, for security from Satan, the devil, and the demonic spirits that we face. And we do, we do. This is a spiritual battle, Paul said. It's not a physical battle. We battle against, not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. Well, you remember the old kings in the movies they would have? Uh, when I was called to Scotland, I started watching a lot of these medieval movies. I don't know why you associate Britain with medieval. And you remember those, they'd have a letter, like a scroll, a letter, and they would melt the wax on there, and that king would have his ring, and he would place his seal. And that seal was for protection and preservation. Because if that seal was opened, if it was broken by someone that didn't have authority to open that seal off with his hand, that was the king's protection. Can I tell you something? God has given us protection to do the will of God. It is his spirit. I want to show you something. Go with me to Acts. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And we'll finish with this. But look with me in Acts chapter 19. And while you're finishing getting there, let me just say and remind you, the Spirit of God, the provision of God to his church, the Father to his church, to us as believers, amen, he is the power, the, the persuasion behind the gospel. He is the path director for the child of God. He will lead you daily if you will follow. But he is our protection, and boy, we need it today. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19, I like what this brother said to me about California. All the good people are what? Say it, leaving, and so somebody's got to preach to what? The bad people, amen. Guess what, brother? All those good people, I don't know where they're going, but they sure are coming to Ohio, amen. We're not, we're not getting any of those. Ohio, who we always thought, you know, we always excited that Ohio was supposed to be this conservative state, and yet when abortion came up in the last round of voting, I think it was like 70% of Ohioans voted to allow abortion. I like what you said, preacher, the other day. We have leaders that we've chosen. You may not have chosen them, 
but the majority did. That's the country we live in. We're not living in a friendly, Bible-friendly place. So we need protection. Now look at this, Acts chapter 19. And then I'm going to leave you with a true story. This isn't a bunch of stories. A true story of something that happened. Acts chapter 19. Now look at verse 14 with me. You remember this story? And there were seven sons of one Sceviea, a Jew and <coughs> chief of the priests, which did so. And in the, <coughs> the evil spirit, let's back up a little so we can get this. Verse number 11. Let's start in verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul, hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought, and we don't have this ability today, so don't try to imitate this. Under the sick handkerchiefs and aprons and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, they saw this going on, exorcists self-proclaimed, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Scevius, a Jew, and a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I what? Now we know they know Jesus, because every time he came across someone demon-possessed, the spirit said, have you come to torment me before my time? They even tried to negotiate. Cast us in the swine, please. Right? They know Jesus. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But look at this. And Paul, what does he say? What does this demon say? And Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Now, here's what I'm saying to you tonight. And I, again, you could preach probably at least three messages individually on these three things we've talked about. I don't know why in, in America, it seems like in, with independent Baptists, and probably true of a lot of people, we just don't see the spiritual side of the battle. We don't see it. Everything is like, if, if something happens, it's a man's fault. The Bible says we are in a spiritual battle. When you go preach, I guarantee you the devil's not throwing a party that you're coming to California. Where are you going, Santa Barbara? Amen. By the way, the new church over there, we have money. So whether you like my preacher or not, if you want money, you can call me, and we're looking to take on guys. Amen? Don't forget to tell Ben Hall I said that. Amen? Because we'll do that. I don't think we need a doctrinal statement. I think we're okay. I was in Scotland, and I don't usually leave on some illustration, but I'm going to leave you with this. I was in Scotland. I got there. I was 25 years old. And I knew a little bit about spiritism because God saved me out of that as a young boy. And I got over there, and you could just, I, I hate the word feel because we get so afraid of that, but you could you could feel a very oppressive spirit, amen? It just was not a place that, that was very welcoming to the word of God. I don't think there is a place that is. And so get over there and I start knocking on doors. I mean, because to be honest with you, as I told you, when you're a church planner, you really don't have a lot of nursing home ministry. You don't have people sick in the hospital. You pretty much have to do what I believe 
I don't even use the word missionary. I hate that word. We, we're evangelists. That's what we are. And we need to evangelize. So I started knocking on doors, and people started coming to church. From day one in High Bonnie Bridge, we had a young woman and her two children come. And from that day on till that church was turned over, I never preached to myself. People came. That's not happened in every church plant. And as people would come, they would say, hey, pray for my, my sister. Pray for, pray for this person. Pray for this person. And so I remember Mary. I was told that her son came to church, made a profession, and he went home, and I didn't know this. He would go home and tell his parents. He would get all of them, the siblings, and him. he'd get them in the corner. He would say, listen, you're going to hell. My preacher said you're wicked. And David, Graham, and he would lay them out. And so Mary, the kingpin of the family, one of the more revered spiritists. You know what a spiritist is? They believe that they have a gift of God. They truly do, that they can contact the dead. Well, the Bible says they're not contacting the dead. They're contacting demonic spirits. And so Mary said, you bring that, you bring that reverend to the house, to the hoose. I want to talk to him. So I go over to that house, and I'm told, man, she's going to, she's a tough cookie. Man, I prayed, and I prayed, and I sought the leadership of the Lord in what I would say. And I got over there, and here's Mary sitting in the corner, almost like up on an elevated position, seriously. And she said, so you're the reverend that's preaching this stuff to my kids. She goes, I have a thing or two to say to you, lad. And man, she went in and tore me up. And she talked. You think I preached long? She preached for an hour. And she laid me out. And she got done. And I, the Lord kept saying, patience, patience, patience. And I said, now can I say something? And I went into the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that whole demeanor of that room changed. Amen. That woman came to church the next Sunday Within four weeks, she was saved, and that woman was our Sunday school teacher over there, and she's still active in that church today. I went to visit her, her niece, Marion. I got to her house, and I'm talking to them, giving them the gospel, and we get done with, with pretty much everything. They said, hey, we'll, their daughter came to the services. I said, why don't you come Sunday and see what's going on? She said, we'll, we'll, we'll come. Her husband looked at her, we'll come, we'll come. So I get up and I'm walking out of the house and it took me to the door and I was getting ready to leave and I saw Jim saying to her, the husband, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't bother him. And she said, but I want to ask him, don't, no, don't bother him. Don't bother him. And I said, what, if you don't mind, Jim, this is your home, but I'll answer a question. She said, my uncle, he's, uh, he's driving us bonkers, as the Scots say. He's driving me crazy. He slams doors. He comes in and out all hours of the night. He throws dishes everywhere. He just, he just, he's just very hateful. He's very violent. And I said, well, let me ask you a question, Mary. And I said, maybe this is too simplistic, but where I'm from, why don't you kick him out of your house? She goes, oh, I'm sorry, preacher, he's dead. I said, he's dead? I said, let me ask you a question. You've been involved in any kind of spiritism or anything like that? You know what she said to me? Her face went white, and she said, I... I how do you know that? And we went back in the room and we began to talk and come to find out she was a spiritist in training. And you know what she said to me that night? I'll never forget. 
She said, when you, and I asked her, I said, your uncle, was he here today? She said, yeah. I said, it's not your uncle, it's a demonic spirit. I said, what did he do when I came? She said, he left. She said, there is an aura about you. There is something different about your spirit that I've never seen. I said, that's not me. That's the spirit of the living God. And I said, the reason that demonic spirit left is because it has no authority over our God. Amen. And I said, you can be delivered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. She came to church and within months, couple months, listening to the preaching, she walked the aisle and got saved. You know what I'm saying? The Holy Ghost. He's not your enemy. And he's not, a prop, he's not the property of the charismatics. He is God Almighty that has been given to us as believers and as an assembly to do the work of world evangelization. Will we follow him? Will we submit to him? If we will, Jesus' authority, Jesus' authenticity, and let's get our focus back on his provision. Because if we will allow the spirit of God to lead our lives, we can do anything. That's that miraculous power. We can do anything God calls us.